Welcome in everyone to the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, 11 to noon on weekdays. The Talking Tide podcast available to you. First and always at our web host at podbean.com. Also various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Our Twitter feed is talking underscore Tide. We link each podcast twice a week throughout the football season there as soon as they are posted. We'll be doing that a little bit later tonight. And Travis, uh, as we recap this Alabama win, a road win over Texas A&M, 47-28, the final score. And and just in terms of flow for this game, Travis, I, th- I thought a little bit about our midweek podcast previewing this game when we talked about the Alabama defense and its occasional struggles this year, um, but all the support it gets from the offense. And you commented, hey, if they can just get two stops a half, they're in, they're in business. Well, uh, they got uh, they gave up three extended scoring drives in the first half, a touchdown right out of the gate, and then a couple of field goals that were both uh, fairly lengthy drives. But they got those two three and outs that you were talking about, and they got a fumble uh, with Shaheem Carter ripping one out. So three stops total in the half, and it translated into a double-digit lead going into the break. Yeah, they had a stretch, and it didn't start well at all because it's weird to say this, but this is where we're at with Alabama football, at least for this two- or three-year stretch. Who knows? Maybe Bryce Young comes in and picks up where Tua leaves off, and they just keep throwing it around and scoring points by the by the dozens. Um, but A&M really got the start that it wanted, not only because it went down on its opening possession and got in the end zone, it took eight minutes off the first quarter clock in doing so. So as crazy as that sounds, given some of the Alabama teams that we've seen under Nick Saban, that's what teams I think are looking to do more of. Uh, that's a problem Alabama can have defensively at time getting off the field. But you're right. After that opening possession for Texas A&M, you know, Alabama, I, I, look, I, and I think it was huge that the offense answered immediately with a touchdown drive of its own, because if Alabama offensively goes three and out there chase and is down seven nothing and that defense is a little bit shell-shocked after not looking as if it really had its legs under it on that opening A&M possession who knows where it goes from there but Alabama goes out and uh, gets that drive to tie the game and then it seemed like the defense at least for about a four possession stretch there for A&M settled in and produced a couple of those three and outs uh, produced a takeaway in, in that stretch and also limited one of those scoring possessions for A&M to a red zone field goal. So y- you're right. I, I think that stretch there I- I- over about four possessions for A&M after it had that opening series for a, a, a touchdown uh, was really big. Yeah, no doubt. Tua Tungvaloa, four touchdown passes on the day. He's averaging four-plus per game at this point, uh, six games into the season. 
They go to four different receivers. No receiver over 100 yards. Devontae Smith finishes with uh, 99 on the day. So uh, spreading the wealth, as it were, for Tunga Valoa. Throws his first interception of the season. Pretty inopportune time over the middle of the field toward the end of the first half as Alabama was driving uh, for a, a potential score that, that uh, I don't want to say it would have put the game away, but it would have really put Jimbo uh, in a bad spot. Uh, but hey, uh, uh, you got to credit the Aggies there. They made a nice play on that ball, and and that's one reason that it went into the half a little bit closer. Yeah, it was it was at least a six point swing, probably. I mean, because yeah, you, you don't take any field goals for granted or, or kicks for granted. I know with Alabama, um, but if they at least get three there, it's a 27 to 10 game as you're heading into the half, perhaps. Instead, it turns into a 24-13 game uh, and, and maintains some some viability in terms of, uh, you know, a competitive nature of the game. So that was big for A&M at that point, because I do think if Alabama gets in the end zone there at 31 to 10 and goes into the half with a 21 point lead, the game is effectively over. Um but, you know, it, it was to his first interception of the season, uh, maybe a little bit of a miscommunication. We saw a little bit of that with Jerry Judy and Tua yep. on Saturday. Maybe some of that was involved. And then, you know, look, Tua's done a better job this year. I think he's shown some maturity in taking the check down. I think he did that uh, multiple times on Saturday. But gunslingers are going to sling from time to time, Chase. And when they do that, sometimes they don't see that backside safety real good. And that's sort of what happened there uh, as A&M was in a middle-of-the-field coverage that uh, uh, kind of caught to a little bit off guard there. Yeah, Tua Tungavaloa actually uh, got a little sideways with Jerry Judy there on one miscommunication. Uh, they got in each other's face a little bit. It's no big deal. It's football. Got, people are going to argue, obviously, when a quarterback and a wide receiver um, – put it right on the field like that it's going to draw a lot of attention there's going to be seven or ten cameras on it and it's going to get talked about a lot uh, but at the end of the day uh, that kind of thing is is forgotten uh, in the locker room if not before yeah it is I mean go back to the 2013 BCS championship game when you had Barrett Jones and AJ McCarron get nose to nose in a game that Alabama had well in hand uh, over Notre Dame down there in South Florida. It, it is part of it. If you go back and you watch a lot or you think back to the great quarterback wide receiver combinations in football in general, Dan Marino used to get after his guys when he was throwing for all those yards and all those touchdowns without winning a Super Bowl for the <laughs> Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, it, it, it absolutely. It, it's just it's something that happens from time to time. Alabama, a 19-point winner, closed as a 17-point favorite out in Vegas. Now, normally, I think the line opened at 18, Travis, and usually mm -hmm. when you see Alabama open as a big favorite, the line moves up. You'd have thought, you know, by the normal pattern, it would have gone from 18 to 19 to 20. Uh, this one dropped, closed at 17, and, and thanks to that drop, instead of going the other direction, uh, things ended up going well for uh, for the half of the field that, that took the tide as, as heavy road favorites. And as we know, road favorites, Travis, uh, that, that's, a, that's a dangerous game to play. Yeah, those home dogs, you know, yeah. those, they got those real sharp teeth a lot of times. The number I liked for that game Saturday was the total. It was 59 and a half, which I thought was really low. 
Uh, and in retrospect, obviously it was. You had 75 points scored in the game, but you know the man usually doesn't drop that left hand. He doesn't let you get that overhand right in there real good a lot of times. He's really good about keeping that left hand up, but he dropped his left hand a little bit, I thought, with that total for Alabama A&M. Yeah, definitely, especially with the way the game played out, it looked low. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it ended up like that, to be honest. There must not have been a, a, a ton of action on that number. Uh, had there been, I, I would assume it, uh, most of it uh, would have been on the over, which would have caused it to uh, inflate. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's not much for, uh, for those two offenses getting after it, particularly uh, with Alabama's defense being, um, as we talked about, questionable at times. Looks strong at other times, and we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about the defense now. Five sacks, Travis, on Kellen Mond. They had 10 all season coming into the game. End up with 15 on the year coming out of the game. Terrell Lewis had two of those. They got some heat on Kellen Mond, and it was it was a tough day for Mond from the standpoint that Jimbo, he didn't even pretend to want to run the ball. I mean, everything was on Mon's shoulders uh, for the Aggies from an offensive standpoint. It is. Now, there there was some balance on that first drive, right? Isaiah Spiller, the true freshman running back, uh, did some nice things early in the game. There was a design run for Mon right out the gate, first snap of the game for A&M was uh, from, from a quarterback draw series. Uh, but Jimbo tends to get away from the run pretty quickly as soon as he gets down. You know, once that game got to 14 to seven, that was pretty much it. Um, you know, I, I thought Alabama defensively, you're right. Five sacks. That's a, that's a great thing. That's after seven sacks of Mond last year. So 12 in the last two years of Mond, I think Alabama sacked him four times in 2017. So we're talking about 17 sacks, I guess, 16, 17 sacks and three career starts against Alabama. Uh, Alabama has been able to get after him. Um, it was good to see Terrell Lewis in more of an every down role, uh, on Saturday. I think that's as much as we've seen of him from that perspective so far this season, he was very effective with a couple of sacks, a couple of quarterback hurries, uh, Anthony Jennings with a couple of tackles for loss and a quarterback hurry. Jennings had a couple penalties as well. The Alabama defense really got hit with a, a number of flags in the game. But um, yeah, if you can keep Jennings and Lewis healthy, you know that's going to take your pass rush to another level. And I know it's a game we'll probably touch on a little bit later. You saw the effect not having their top two pass rushers had on the Florida Gators. Saturday night in yeah. Baton Rouge. That was a real problem for Florida. So if you're an Alabama fan, 24 and 33, you got to keep those guys on the field. Shaheem Carter, Pat Sertain, and Trevon Diggs with two pass breakups apiece uh, back there in the secondary. So, uh, again, uh, it's it's been a defense that that at times gets exposed, at other times looks dominant, and, and they can they can be dominant half the time and be fine. Uh, with this offense, but uh, uh, Alabama's defense now number 14 in the country in scoring defense, allowing 17 points per game. They rank 36th in the NCAA in third down defense, allowing 34% on third down conversions. A far cry, Travis, from the Alabama offense, which is ranked 
fourth in the nation now in third down conversions offensively at 53%. Yeah, and look, you need to go ahead and wrap your head around the fact that this isn't college football from 10, 12 years ago. You know, 28 points in today's game is like 14 points allowed in 2009. That's where we're at with the sport. I mean, when you see LSU and Alabama doing what it's they're doing offensively these days compared to what they were doing offensively 10 years ago and with LSU even last year or a couple of years ago, uh, you, you can go that you, you don't have to go that far back with LSU. Um, it really does come down to third down and red zone, right? How efficient are you on third down defensively? And can you limit people to field goals when those red zone opportunities come about? Yeah, Alabama's uh, averaging 51 points a game at this point in the season. That's a top five offense in the NCAA in terms of scoring offense. Behind LSU of all teams, LSU is averaging 52 points a game. Uh, so yeah, who would have who would have seen that back in the in the miles saving days when uh, I can remember the was it six three? What was that super low scoring game in Tuscaloosa? Nine uh, six. Nine yeah. six. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, we're a long way from that one. We are, and you know, ask Kirby Smart on Sunday if if he would like to have an offense that that could produce that way because the problem is if you're still playing 2009 Alabama football you get yourself into one of those 2009 Tennessee games that Alabama got itself into in 2009 which is what happened to the Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday at home with South Carolina that was essentially the same kind of game and because you don't have the ability or your philosophy or your approach doesn't allow you to sort of distance yourself on the offensive side of the ball, even if it means you give up a few more points, okay? Even if your background is that of a defensive guy. You know, Nick Saban isn't worried about all that right now. Nick Saban's taking all these explosive plays and these two, three play drives, and, you know, he'll figure out the points allowed when it's all over with. But, you know, it, when you had the ability to score uh, like this Alabama offense has and LSU has this season, uh, you just ride with it. And Nick Saban's made that pretty clear here in the last week. He He's not going to slow down to maybe help that defense give up a few more, a few fewer points uh, per game. He, he's going to keep riding uh, this gift horse as long as he can. Special teams playing a big role in the game as well. We'll hit on those. Jalen Waddle, four punt returns. Career high, 128 yards on those four punt returns. Henry Ruggs busted a kickoff return for 40 yards. Waddle with a big day, Travis, no doubt about it. Although, I thought the the A&M coverage units had a lot to do with it, too. I mean, there were some, uh, there were some returns by Waddle that were just wide open. Seemed like right from the catch. Yeah, Braden Mann averaged just under 50 yards per punt, but he was a culprit in all that, too. Some of those punts didn't exactly have four-plus-second hang time. A couple of them, I think, even hit and bounced, and he was able to field them on a hop. And when you do that with a guy like Jalen Waddle, I don't care how far you can kick it. And last year, here in Tuscaloosa, Mann turned in an NCAA single-game record performance at about 61 yards per punt. Well, you know, Nick Saban talked about that last week, too. The other side of that is if you have a guy that can return him, uh, it can be a real problem. And Waddle was great. Henry Ruggs, the third, was great on kickoff returns. And Braden Mann, between punting and kickoffs, 
Um, you know, I thought he was going to have to wear one of those maybe neck collars, you know, that the that linebackers wear because he was in on more coverage plays uh, than the vaunted twelfth man walk on that tw- that that kid that always wears number twelve, you know, on the kickoff team for A and M Chase. Yeah. I, I saw thirty four in on more stuff than I saw twelve on uh saturday and when you're a&m that's not a good thing i don't think no he he uh he got more contact than he probably signed up for didn't he <laughs> i think by the uh, seriously if you go back and watch i'm not sure maybe he started the game with it but i think he had a shoulder harness strap on in the fourth quarter when he was punting there i'm serious you go back and look at it but you know i added it up Braden man had two solo tackles in the game and th- th- those were more solo tackles than five of a&m's defensive starters had Saturday afternoon against Alabama. He, that That's not a good stat if you're A&M. Oh, that Waddle flipped the field all day. Yeah, field uh, position was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, made, uh, made things easier for an Alabama offense that doesn't necessarily need the table set for it. Uh, but uh, Waddle certainly did that. How about a block punt with Terrell Shavers yeah. uh, scooping one up late in the game as well? I think earlier in the season, uh, Shavers almost got one that that Ali Cahoe had had blocked, and uh, this time he this time he got his hands on it. Yeah, Ali Cahoe's kind of becoming Alabama's Bill Bates. You probably some of our listeners not old enough to make that connection, but Bill Bates uh, played at Tennessee. Uh, infamously from his perspective, probably uh, run over by Herschel Walker in 1980. It was Herschel Walker's first game with the Georgia Bulldogs. Herschel ran over Bill Bates on his way to scoring a touchdown at Neyland Stadium. But Bill Bates went on to an NFL career that was based almost entirely on hellacious special teams play. And Ali Cahoe has sort of become that dude for this Alabama program the last two seasons. And, you know, second block punt in, what, a couple, three games for Ali Cahoe. And this time Shavers doesn't let it go through his hands. He uh, he gets the scoop and score. And, uh, yeah, the non-offensive touchdowns return. You know, there was a little bit of a break in those non-offensive touchdowns, Chase. Uh, but they've made a return here with Ali Cahoe getting his hands on some punts. No doubt about it. Uh, the guy I think of when I think of uh, in college football – a guy with a real knack for blocking punts was a guy named Joe Wessel from Florida State who just blocked a ton of punts. Yeah, uh, in the, that's in going the, back, too. Yeah, that's that's way back. Mid-1980s for uh, uh-huh. Bobby Bowden squads, you know, kind of kind of got a reputation for it. That's, I'm dating myself here. Uh, yeah, but, uh, all Kobe right. Definitely uh, looking sharp in his role on that punt block unit. The Talk of Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors uh, really quickly here, starting with North River Dental Associates, our charter sponsor, former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley and his professional staff of dental hygienists. That's who you want to go to uh, to take care of your teeth, take care of your family's teeth for all of your dental needs, uh, whether you need teeth whitening services, porcelain veneers, cosmetic dentistry, laser dentistry, they do it all, endodontics dentures, dental implants, you name it. 
North River Dental Associates is where you want to go. It's conveniently located off McFarland Boulevard at 1100 Fairfax Park, right in that office park with uh, West Alabama Pediatrics, Tuscaloosa Eye Care down there, uh, right behind the Jimmy John's off of McFarland Boulevard. That's where you want to go. The phone number there is 752-3506. You can go to NorthRiverDentist.com for an appointment. Now, they're going to get you in and out nice and quick on a routine cleaning Usually in under an hour, you'll barely have any time at all sitting around in that waiting room. Uh, you won't even get through the first two paragraphs of that magazine you pick up uh, before they get you back there and get the work started, and they will do a fantastic job at North River Dental. Also, we want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits. Travis and I were just there last Wednesday to do the Texas A&M Preview Podcast at 2221 University Boulevard, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, a smoke-free environment featuring pre-prohibition and modern classic cocktails made by a team of the most talented bartenders in all of Tuscaloosa. Stiff drinks, fancy glassware, and a classy atmosphere. You want to try the Capri when you get in there for sure. Made with that Tito's handmade vodka, some grapefruit for you, and a portion of the sales on the Capri goes to the Metro Animal Shelter of Tuscaloosa. Uh, so be sure to try one of those. Another good one for sure is the Painkiller, uh, based with that Pusser's Rum, uh, Pineapple Orange, and House Coconut Cream. For uh, uh, you coconut fans, the Painkiller is a good way to go. Hunter Wiggins and his staff are serving them up really strong down there at Session Cocktails and Spirits. Again, downtown Tuscaloosa, right between the Children's Hands-On Museum and Rock and Roll Sushi, Session Cocktails and Spirits will take care of you. Yeah, I'll stay downtown with you while we're talking about Session, and it is an outstanding place, no doubt about it. Uh, Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square, a top 10 breakfast in the entire United States of America. It's right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama at Brick and Spoon Restaurant. You know, the breakfasts are great, but you're not going to go wrong with lunch or the brunch options as well. Try that Bacon Cali Burger the next time you swing by Brick and Spoon there in downtown Tuscaloosa. Well, of course, it's going to have uh, that thick cut bacon on there, some savory cheese, a buttery bun, Go ahead and get uh, go ahead and get those truffle fries with that bacon Cali burger while you're at it. You won't regret it. Outstanding Bloody Marys, mimosas. Again, they can take care of you from breakfast, brunch through lunch. Brick and Spoon, right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a great spot to take care of those uh, the, the, those meals for you. And also, great catering available to you at Brick and Spoon as well. Breakfast, you can do dinner uh, spreads, buffets. They can do all of that for you at Brick and Spoon. Give them a call about the uh, catering options at 205-345-5551. That's 205-345-5551. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. And of course, our great friends there at Heat Pizza Bar at Government Plaza in downtown Tuscaloosa outstanding pizzas, outstanding salads, outstanding appetizers, full bar. Will Frank, the rest of the crew there at Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa do a great, great job. Great television management on those football weekends, starting with maybe some fun belt action, even if it's a Wednesday night, right on through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, into the NFL on Sunday and Monday as well. They'll take care of you. Great place to watch your favorite team 
while having the very best pizza you will ever put in your mouth. That's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. All right, the Talking Todd podcast rolling on here at podbean.com. Chase Goodred and Travis Ryer with you to look around the Southeastern Conference. And Travis, definitely two games other than the Alabama game jump out. And we start with South Carolina's stunning upset, road upset over the Georgia Bulldogs, 20-17 to the final score in double overtime. And as you mentioned, uh, a Georgia offense that – just doesn't have quite doesn't quite have that RPO juice like Alabama does. Uh, Will Muschamp can can finish that sandwich, and, and uh, he was able to do it. Now it seemed like toward the end of regulation, uh, some of the coaching decisions I thought on both sides were kind of questionable. Yeah. It was almost looked like who wants to win this game, uh, but South Carolina. And when it went to overtime. Uh, you got to put the win probability for Georgia pretty high once it goes to OT, uh, but South Carolina able to pull it off in the end. Yeah, improbable was the result once the game went to overtime. I agree because a couple things, what do you look at? I mean, you look at these things uh, for much of, of a football game, but especially on a short field, you want the quarterback and you want the kicker in overtime scenarios, and Georgia had both. I mean, Ryan Holinsky was out of the game for South Carolina. So the Gamecocks were effectively down to their third string quarterback in overtime. Uh, on top of that, you've got a kicker in Rodrigo Blankenship who entered Saturday's game. Saturday's game perfect. Uh, ended up missing a couple of uh, field goals in that game Saturday, including one that would extended overtime. But he missed from 42 to give South Carolina the win. Huge win for Will Muschamp, man. You know, you talk about grumblings, and I understand the guy's got a $22 million buyout as it sits right now, but uh, Will Muschamp needed that one. And, you know, when you look at it from the Georgia perspective, I think in the latest polls, the dogs have fallen down to around 10 or so. There's still a chance for Georgia to get back into this thing. Uh, Still can win the East because South Carolina is not winning the East. So the games that Georgia needs to win to get to Atlanta are still in front of it. Um, you know, if you win the Southeastern Conference Championship game against an LSU or an Alabama in early December, I like your chances as a one-loss SEC champ to make the Southeastern to make the college football playoff. What Georgia did though was really put a dent into that scenario, that potential scenario of two SEC teams uh, perhaps getting into the CFP chase, and also uh, wounded Notre Dame a pretty good bit, I'd say, with that loss. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, and, and I thought Georgia's, I thought Georgia's defense played pretty good throughout the game. Um, offensively, they were up and down. South Carolina gets a lot of credit defensively as well. Uh, they were ready to play, and and, and I thought the South that Carolina, defensive line for South Carolina owned Georgia up front. Did you did you see that? The vaunted Georgia offensive line. Yeah, yeah they, they struggled. They struggled in that one for sure. And. And uh, you're right. It, it, it's probably a mulligan for the Bulldogs because at the end of the day, if they close the regular season at 11 and one, go to Atlanta, potentially run into an un, an unbeaten Alabama team, uh, and, and knock them off, that's going to be a real resume booster. Uh, despite the uh, a home loss to South Carolina, so I don't think Georgia's out of it, but uh, the bloom's a little bit off the rose over in Athens. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, for Kirby, uh, it brings the the Wolves out a little bit. And, you know, I think what hurt Georgia, too, in that game, Chase, was that Lawrence Cager, 
clearly Jake Fromm's number one target. Looked like he had a shoulder injury of some sort, and you didn't see him much in the second half and down the stretch of that game. And that is the guy that has become Fromm's go-to target. There's no doubt about that. They miss Miko. I, I think uh, Miko Hardeman. They miss Godwin. They miss Miko. They miss Holloman at this point. Yeah, they miss they miss a lot of guys from a year ago on the outside. And they, you know who else they miss? Isaac Nauta, yeah. the tight end. You know, that was a guy that in some of those situations late on Saturday, if you still got a guy like that at tight end, Fromm's dialing him up too. The other game uh, that jumps out, obviously, LSU gets it done at home over the Florida Gators, 42-28. to That game, 28-28 at one point. The Gators uh, had that game tight for a while. LSU pulls away offensively. And, Travis, I'm going to issue a, a, a mea culpa here, and I'm just going to tip my hat to Joe Burrow and say, hey, this guy is a different quarterback than he was a year ago. I've been critical of Joe Burrow. Hadn't said a lot about him the last few weeks, but – uh, you got to give credit where it's due and when it's due, and, and this guy's been uh, consistent for this team all year. It almost reminds me of the jump that Zach Mettenberger made between his junior and senior year at LSU. He was a different quarterback, um, and, and that's that's kind of, in my opinion, that's kind of what we see from from Burrow as well. He he's playing two or three cuts above what he looked in 2018, in my opinion. I think, well, they obviously made a change there uh, in bringing in a standalone passing game coordinator in Brady from the New Orleans Saints. That that obviously made a difference. But I think they are so much better. They might have taken LSU an even bigger jump at the wide receiver positions than they did with Burrow because Jamar Chase now to go along with Justin Jefferson – Terrace Marshall Jr. when he's healthy they have some guys now and I think they're running the football more effectively they did Saturday night anyway that probably surprised me as much as anything that they were able to gash Florida uh, on the ground like they did now again Florida once Zaniga was pretty much a non-factor on the edge once Greenard went out early there went a lot of that Florida pass rush uh, for the remainder of that game, almost the entirety of that game. And if you can't get pressure on Burrow with those wide receivers, it's going to be tough. And that sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier in advance and looking ahead already to that matchup on November the 9th here in Tuscaloosa. That's why the combined presence of Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis is going to be so important in that game because you have to affect Joe Burrow and you also have to make Joe Burrow beat you outside the numbers because if you allow him to pretty much work those crossing routes and some of that stuff in the middle of the field he's very effective in there but I think what separates Tua from Burrow still is that Tua can beat you to every uh, in every area of the football field you know what I'm saying Chase he can beat you outside the numbers he can beat you between the numbers he can beat you vertically you know, he has that sort of arm talent that I don't think Burrow quite has. Uh, but Burrow can certainly make enough of the throws to, to be a problem if you don't pressure him. I'll tell you where else LSU is better this year than last year, too, is in the backfield because Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, a, in my opinion, uh, a significant upgrade from Nick Brissett uh, from last season. And, and mm-hmm. he, he hurt Florida in that game. He really did. And I think LSU's offensive line – 
uh, a little more continuity last year. You had some suspension. You had some injuries. Uh, by the time LSU got to Alabama in early November of last year, where that offensive line was a mess, and it showed because Alabama sacked Burrow five times in Baton Rouge. And, you know, it, it, again, if Alabama is able to get that sort of pressure and get Burrow off his first guy and, and, and make him do things that he's not comfortable doing, um, you know, they'll have a chance to slow him down. But you're right. I think LSU more so than a year ago, balance and legitimacy in the run game. You know, LSU has a reputation of being physical and, you know, smash mouth and this and that. But there have been more than a few times in this stretch of eight straight wins for Alabama where even with Leonard Fournette, with Darius Geis, just couldn't win up front, you know, against Alabama's front seven. Well, maybe more this year than any time since about 2010. Uh, LSU is going to go into this game this time around feeling like it can do that with the Crimson Tide. Talking Tide podcast is going to wrap it up with that. Be sure to join us midweek as Travis and I preview Alabama's upcoming game against the Tennessee Volunteers. That second half SEC stretch of the schedule is upon us. The aforementioned LSU game several weeks away. That one will be uh, capturing the nation's attention for sure. Alabama-Tennessee uh, doesn't capture the nation's attention quite like it used to, uh, but certainly uh, uh, a heated rivalry in these parts anyway. And we will be back on Wednesday night to preview that one. So for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you midweek right here on Talking Tide.